bananas. This episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the first place I go to keep my business skills sharp. They offer over 150,000 books on business, finance, planning, and much more. They also have a great selection of fiction that keeps me entertained when I'm just not up for some serious content. I love it because I can buy a book, download it to my iPhone, and listen while running errands or at the gym. Get your free trial at freelancershow.com slash audible. This episode is brought to you by CodeSchool. CodeSchool offers interactive online courses in Ruby, JavaScript, HTML, CSS, and iOS. Their courses are fun and interesting and include exercises for the student. To level up your development skills, go to freelancershow.com slash CodeSchool. This episode is brought to you by ProXPN. If you're out and about on public Wi-Fi, you never know who might be listening. With ProXPN, you no longer have to worry. ProXPN is a VPN solution which sends all of your traffic over a secure connection to one of their servers around the world. To sign up, go to ProXPN.com and use the promo code TMTCS, short for Teach Me to Code Screencasts, to get 10% off for life. All right, here we go. (laughs) So, uh, this is the Ruben's Neighbors Piano Concerto. Ding, ding. So annoying. There's three pianos. He has to use the one with the wall adjoining my office. Yeah, of course he does. He wants to make sure you're still awake. Great, great. It's a safe assumption at most hours of the day these days anyway. (laughs) Staying busy, huh? Oh, my God, yes. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, this morning morning I had a 5 a.m. meeting with a client in Chicago like, good for their time and sort of good for my time. Then I had Chinese at 6. Then I took a 7.15 train, taught all day. Then I'm doing this. And then I've got a meeting with a client in St. Louis um, after this, in which I will convince them that, oh, yes, I've done lots of software development over the last week. And, in fact, then do it over the next two days while they were on vacation. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully they don't watch the the, the podcast, right? (laughs) The perks of being Jewish instead of Christian, huh? Exactly. Well, I, mean, I know I'm, you won't be working. Uh, right. Right. Well, I mean, I'm teaching, actually, you know, December 25th, a totally normal day here. So, like, I'm heading off to Apple to teach uh, a class on that day. So, you know, buses run and everything. Ah, yes. uh, yeah. So, yeah, my week has been a little less interesting. So the last two weeks, you know, you hit those times where crap hits the fan. Um, I think I have admitted this on the show before, and if not, I'm admitting it now. Don't We didn't have, like, a couple months' worth of savings like we should in the bank. And I got a bunch of sponsorship money for the shows, the different podcasts, um, back in September, October. And then just a bunch of little things came up, and that money got gone. So we started running low on money, like, right before Thanksgiving. And so, of course... It's really hard to get anyone to do business during Thanksgiving. And right. uh, then, you know, it kind of stayed slow for a little while there. And uh, now I'm into Christmas, and it's still hard to get people to do business during Christmas. And then on top of that, we had a bunch of mice get into our food. Oh so we had God. to throw a bunch of it away. Oh, my God, that's the worst. And my truck broke down, so I had to fix it. And... Oh, did I mention that I didn't have any clients and that I was pretty much out of money? Um, <laughs> That's right, folks. You, you get great advice from us. <laughs> so I know what I should have done. I mean, we should have had the money in the bank. 
because that would have that would have solved it at least for the next month or so. And we were able to pay for Christmas and you know keep up on pretty much everything, but you know it's kind of getting to that point where it's like, okay, where's the next mortgage payment going to come out of? The the reason I'm saying this, I'm not trying to complain actually. But we don't have any questions, and so I thought I'd talk about it for a second. But I have noticed that at least for me, things tend to start working out right when I hit the bottom. So, you know, right when I got to the point where I'm like, okay, I really have no money. I really have no, you know, whatever, you know, I can keep the lights on here and food on the table and that's about it. And so I started getting phone calls from folks just out of the blue. One of the phone calls was actually a direct result of this Q&A. Wow. I believe it was either the Q&A or one of the episodes where we talked about, no, it was the episode where we talked about productized consulting and I don't remember who our guest was, but it was the last one that we did where we were trying to find a product for, for Ruben. Anyway, I mentioned that I had done social networks on there, and so I got a call from one guy who wants me, or is, you know, we're going to be talking after the holidays about building a social network for one of his clients, which is, is no mean feat, so it's going to be a bit of work. But So last Thursday and Friday, I talked to five different potential clients in two days, and then I talked to another one on Monday. And uh, that one's going to be a little bit harder sell. And maybe we can talk about how to do that in a minute. But anyway, it was just really interesting that, uh, you know, if you're doing the right stuff, putting yourself out there, you never know who's going to be paying attention. And I'm a person of faith. And I feel like, you know, if I'm living right, that God will help me. I don't feel like he solves all my problems, especially when they're my fault, which they usually are. But, you know, I feel like I have good things come back to me when I put good things out into the world. And uh, if I live right, then he, he'll guide me and help me. So, you know, it was kind of a combination of all of the things that I've been doing and I think a little bit of providence. And, yeah, so I have a contract that pretty much starts next week. And then I've got a whole bunch of other work that if I can line it up, I'm probably going to wind up hiring people. So it's just funny how it all works. <laughs> right. Like, I mean... I, I totally, totally hear what you're saying. Um, I mean, I've been there before also where basically I, I sometimes wonder, okay, where are the next things going to come from? And then roughly around that time I hear from someone. I mean, doing the training and having someone else selling my training has managed to smooth out those just a lot because basically it's scheduled months in advance. And so I know, okay, these two weeks are covered. And so we'll be able to make you know, most of our payments. Although we're still paying back oodles of loans from the last two years from like when I was finishing the PhD and working a lot less. So, I mean, I'm sort of looking at how can I squash those or pay those back as fast as possible. But definitely, definitely, like, I mean, I'll tell you, I've started reaching out. I decided, you know what? I don't know why I'm so reluctant to do this. And I started reaching out to people I know who are really well connected and saying to them, if you know of a project, let me know. And I had some great conversations as a result of that. You know, people have been very friendly and willing to at least say they're going to do that, and I think it might actually happen. If you talk to enough people, I mean, I had a great conversation with someone just last week where I thought maybe he'd be able to put me in touch with some projects. But instead, we ended up brainstorming on doing a partnership that has nothing to do with any of the projects we were thinking of that had to do with uh, doing training. So, I mean, we'll see what that leads to, but I'm, I'm actually quite excited. Awesome. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. I guess you had kind of a major distraction for a few years there. Yeah, <laughs> and it was also... PhD a, my God. But it was also like a financial distraction where yeah. we ended up just over the last year or so taking enormous amounts of loans, like personally and from the business. And I'm lucky that I had the business. And I'm lucky that I had the business at a different bank than my personal account. 
So I could sort mm-hmm. of play each of them off of each other and say, oh, yes, well, you know, the business isn't getting a lot of money now, so I need to take out a loan. And go to my personal bank and say, well, I'm personally not getting a lot of money now, so I need to take out a personal loan. Now, if they'd ever talked to each other, they might not have agreed to it, and we are able to pay it back, which is good. But the faster that I can get that load off my shoulders, I feel just an enormous amount of money each month is going toward repaying those, which is like, I just, I feel like I really, you know, firing on cylinders now. I've got all sorts of stuff going on, and yet I'm still paying for this thing that supposedly ended six months ago. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's another thing that happened was uh, I emailed out to uh, some of the people who had been on Ruby Rogues. And one of them came back. Now, they're also a sponsor of the show. But he came back and he said, hey, I guess they were a Techstars startup. Uh, For those of you who don't know what Techstars is, it's like Y Combinator, except they're in multiple cities. So they're a startup incubator. I'm not sure if they, like, buy equity in the company to give them money to get started or if they give them money. I I don't know how all that works. But basically they give them money and then they, um, they, they give them mentorship and things like that to help get their company started. And uh, it looks like this was one of those companies. Anyway, there's a group of CTOs for those companies. And uh, the person that we had on Ruby Rogues was the CTO for this particular company. And he's like, yeah, he's like, if, you know, if you want me to, I will email all of the, or I will, you know, let the Techstars CTOs list know that you're available for help. And, but then he went and looked at my website my non-existent website, and this goes right into the question that we got here, so maybe I'll read the question and then and then we can start answering it, but he says, I'm not planning on being full-time until next year, but I have purchased Book Yourself Solid and Get Clients Now, so beyond those resources, do you have any other good advice when starting out, and maybe how important is it to have your website up? And, and that's kind of where I'm going with this. So, I've been freelance for four and a half years, and I never had a website that I was proud of up, but there were opportunities there that I was missing because I didn't have it up. And so I put one up. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's fairly preliminary, but it's not something I'm embarrassed to share anymore. <laughs> so that's, that's a high threshold. <laughs> so, yeah, so I've got a bunch of stuff on there. I've got my portfolio up there. I need to add one or two things to it. But anyway, so, you know, since I had spare time, <laughs> <laughs> Because I didn't have any contracts, you know, I put the website up. So, yeah, it's, I don't know. I I feel like I probably did miss opportunities by not having a website up. Look, I mean, I've had a website, and I had different incarnations for many years now. And for a long time, it was just sort of, like, ridiculously bad. I think my current website is okay, but I don't think it's good for marketing or sales. But I've got to decide what direction I want to go in and then market in that direction. I mean, you at least, it's clear, you do web development. And I'm like, well... You know, everyone says I should specialize. Maybe I should say that my specialty is doing training because doing training in project that might be like too many things to sort of spread around. But then again, I want to do the projects. I want people to know that I can do them. So I've got to like figure out exactly how to do it. I yeah. would say virtually everyone, though, who calls me at some point has definitely looked at my website and definitely sees, okay, he can do X and Y and Z, and then they go ahead with making the call. Right. One thing that I'm seeing, I've experienced with this, though, just putting it up, is that, yeah, I've had a few people take me seriously. It's also a few people that I talk to, they're like, well, do you have somewhere where I can go and see your work? And and now I can say, yes, yes, I do. (laughs) You can go see it. But the other thing is, and this is something that you touched on that I want to uh, talk about for a minute, because I uh, I think it's important to answer the question that we got, and also it's important just to think about, and that is 
so this is just the agency website, okay? This isn't the Chuck website. This is the agency website. And uh, the Chuck website is going to... I'm still working on it, but it's just going to be a WordPress blog at this point. And so what I'm trying to do now is I've been working, I've been reading this book called uh, Become a Key Person of Influence. And they talk about uh, kind of becoming one of those people that people pay attention to in your field. And they talk about finding a niche, which we've talked about quite a bit on the show. And I think uh, several of us who haven't niched down far enough have mentioned, you know, we need to do better about that. But uh, anyway, so this is just the uh, agency site. And then my personal blog, uh, which will be at charlesmaxwood.com. If you go there right now, I don't think it's up. It's going to have, you know, the blog posts and things. And that's going to be me building my personal brand as a person of influence in the areas that I want to kind of own or, you know, be a person of influence in and work things out that way. And so charlesmaxwood.com will be the, hey, you want to hire Chuck to do training? You want to hire Chuck to speak? Then do this. If you want to hire Chuck to write code for you, then go check out intentional excellence production since it's we do agency work now not just one guy freelancer work and so right. the focus is a little bit different and i don't really want to split the effort of writing for my blog between the two sites i don't think that's as productive so right i mean just to uh, like to address a, a few more of vincent's questions here because a bunch of them packed together you know other advice would start like typical you know sort of networking i you know, from the LinkedIn episode that we had, I don't think I really use that many tips from the LinkedIn episode other than one thing, which I guess you sort of touched on briefly, which was using it to really promote yourself. So I've definitely, since that episode, um, been doing two things on LinkedIn. One is I've just been trying to get as many people connected to me as possible, which is, I guess, sort of the nature of the beast. But until then, I was sort of reluctant to do it. Before that, I was like, well, only if I've really done work with them. And now I'm just a madman. You know, I meet someone, boom, I try to get them on LinkedIn. Because mm-hmm. you never know what the connection can be useful for. And then I connect it to every time I blog, I have my WordPress site set up to send it on LinkedIn, to send it on Twitter, to send it on... I think those are the two that I send it to. And sometimes I'll just put up a, an update on LinkedIn pointing to things if I don't want to put it on my blog. And I've seen, like, that gets my name out. And that, hopefully, is lighting the spark, letting people know that, I guess to use the phrase that you just you know, used, um, uh, like the become a person of influence, that people will see me as an authority figure on the topics that I'm posting about. And even if people only see it, you know, once a year, once every six months, once every two months, they will still see it, and a lot of people will see it, and their friends' friends will see it, or their, I guess in LinkedIn terms, their links, you know, their contacts' contacts will see it. So it definitely spreads the word much more. So I, w- I would try doing that, for sure. It hasn't hurt, and I think it has actually helped me a bit. So for me, I'm a much more passive user of LinkedIn, so I get requests for pe- from people to connect. And uh, I tell the recruiters to go jump in the lake, and you know I connect with podcast listeners. I don't connect with the people who say, or, you know, who send the default message, hi, I'd like to be in, you know, I'd like to add you to my network. No. But, uh, you know, if you tell me who you are, you're a listener of the show or something, I'm, I'm totally good with that. But, yeah... I have gone in if I need a particular type of help. So, you know, front-end programmer, sometimes I need just somebody who can tweak things in ways that I don't know how, or a designer in a lot of cases. You know, I'll go on LinkedIn and try and find them. Though I am starting to go to other social networks and communities where those folks kind of hang out like Dribble, D-R-I-B-B-B-L-E, for designers, and find people there instead. But... Yeah, so I haven't really used a lot of the tips from the LinkedIn episode either. 
And, and I think generally it works for building your network, but I don't know that it works all the time for getting the people who are going to hire you into your network. And so, you know, it's for me, it's more of a professional connection thing as opposed to a find clients thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah I mean, I definitely look, <coughs> I, might been, I think I mentioned this on that episode that I actually look at probably about once a day the list of people who have looked at my uh, LinkedIn yeah. profile. And almost always, when I see someone new who has looked at my profile, I can expect to get a call from them or email from them within a day or two. Like, I, it's clear that people are looking at my profile uh, mm-hmm. before they contact me as a potential consultant. So I probably should keep it more up to date, but it's clear that that's becoming like a first point of contact along with a website for people gaining, uh, getting an opinion of, of who I am and what I'm doing. Yep. Something I did on my website, which I think has actually been useful and helpful, is on the homepage there, which, like, one, one of the rare, really smart things I think that I did having to do with my website and, and marketing, on the front page there, I have the links from, I think it's either the three or five most recent blog posts and most recent Linux journal columns. And I feel like that gives people a taste also of what I'm writing about, what I'm talking about, what I'm able to do. And there's and, some credibility there, to be sure. Right. Or so I'd like to think. <laughs> and again, no one's ever saying, no one's ever said to me, well, I went to your website, and I saw this blog post, and now I must hire you. How much do I pay you, and I'll just fork over the money, right? It's never quite that, that simple, but every little factor, every little bit adds some more credibility, and it adds to the possibility of people coming to you and hiring you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, you never know where they're going to come from, so being there is definitely good, uh, as long as you're kind of keeping up on it. Right. Yeah, yeah, and I'll tell you, it actually is sort of a forcing factor for me to make sure to blog at least every so often, because if I don't, then I feel like I've really done something foolish. Like, I feel foolish that my website, you know, has stayed relatively static for a while. Also, on the like on the on the point of you never know where it's going to come from. So, I mean, one thing I know we've mentioned this on the show a bunch of times, but like going to speak at users' groups or conferences, or whatever, can be so useful. So I just got a call two weeks ago from someone completely out of the blue saying, I heard that you are Israel's biggest database expert and I must hire you to work on this project for a bank. Now, it is completely false that I'm Israel's biggest database expert by a long shot. I wasn't going to dissuade the guy of this, right? But but like he called me up. Now, why ever would he think this? Because a friend of his saw a talk that I gave at IBM for free two years ago and somehow, from word of mouth, it came back to me, now we'll see if we actually get this project, right? But you really, really never know who's going to hear you and who's going to want to work with you. And so just getting your name out and writing and speaking is just one of the most important things you can do, I think. Yep. And then the other thing is is find your niche. Yeah. As, as far as advice goes, I mean, the more I see, the more I read, the more I talk to people, people who are really killing it are the people that have figured out what their niche is. And... You know, it doesn't have to be a vertical. We've talked a lot about this before, but one thing that I am figuring out right now is that you can be, I hate the word thought leader, but you can be a person of influence in sub-areas around your area of expertise. So, for example, one of the areas that I want to build that person of influence area in is within the Ruby on Rails community, I want to be the guy that they go to to find out about making websites uh, responsive. Mm. Right. And then when they're talking to people, then they go, okay, well, this is going to be customer-facing. There are going to be a lot of people using it, and so we need to be (laughs) mobile-friendly. And then they immediately go, so you need to talk to Chuck. You know? I mean, that's the whole point, right? 
Um, I've considered doing that with uh, Rails security as well because I can't think of the go-to person for Rails security, you know, or scaling in Rails or, you know, different areas like that. And so, you know, you can niche down that way as well and just kind of really own one corner of the market. And then, sure, you're not the person they're calling up to build the overall application, but you're in there nailing it every time that they have an issue come up where they're concerned about security or concerned about how it looks on the mobile device or whatever. And let's even assume that you're not the only go-to guy on this. Let's assume there are another 100 people out there, which is almost certainly an exaggeration, but 100 people out there who know about you know, Rails and responsive websites. Well, there are an awful lot of web, you know, Rails sites out there, and all of them need to be responsive. And so I'm sure that if you position yourself in this way, all you need is 50 clients a year, right, if each of them is doing a one-week engagement, and often it's going to be more than a one-week engagement. So there's limits mm-hmm. to how much you can personally service, and I, I'm sure that, that can work very well. Well, yeah, the, other thing, the other thing is, is that of those 100 people, let's say that they really have the expertise to be able to do the work, how many of those people are going to go out and write a bunch of blog posts about it? How many of those people are going to go out and write a self-published book about it? How many of those people are going to go out and make videos on YouTube about it? I mean, you know, you do one or two of those things, and you're going to own that area of the market because people are going to see and hear and learn to like and trust you. And then, you know, it, it's not 100 people who are capable. It's You're the one of maybe three or four people out there that actually have content on it that people are going to find and want to hire. I, I agree completely. And who is available, right? Like, there might yeah. be a bunch of people who know about it, but they might have full-time engagement. Like, they, they might have actual jobs, and so they can't just sort of take off for two weeks or four weeks and help someone on a project, mm-hmm. whereas that's exactly what you do. You're available for hire to do that. Yep. That's pretty great. So, I mean, th- those are the tips. This uh, book, Becoming a Key Person of Influence, is has a lot of information about how to do that stuff. Now, it's not like a step-by-step on how to write an ebook or how to write your blog, but it does go into the principles behind how you become that key person of influence and they encourage you pretty heavily to find something that you enjoy doing. So So we had a question here about training and how to get started as a trainer. So I just kind of fell into it. Um, And I fell into it in sort of multiple steps. So when I started consulting, you know, back in the Stone Age, so, like, I mean, I started consulting in 95. And I think already in 96, I had a few clients come to me and say, listen, can you teach us about... At that point, it was Perl and Apache and such things. And I said, sure. And I kind of put things together. And I'm sure if I were to look at it now, I would just laugh at how bad it was. But you got to start somewhere. And they were happy and just sort of built on that. Um, and it was always intertwined with my consulting work. I would do some training and do some uh, uh, and then some consulting, probably a 50-50 mix, or even probably like a three-quarters development and one-quarter training mix at that point. And I guess it was about five years ago now, I was talking to a colleague he said, hey, do you do training? I said, well, yeah, sure, I do, I do some training. So he said, oh, I've got to hook you up with this company that does training in Israel, John Bryce. Or actually, at that point, it was high-tech college. It's a very complex uh, soap opera of acquisitions and mergers and, and names. In any event, so he hooked me up with them and actually gave me, like, a screen test. They tried to have me teach a pretend class for about five minutes, and they thought I was a total failure. They, they were like, no way, this guy just cannot do it. So my friend who had introduced me said, give him a chance. Let him go and do it. And I went and did it, and it worked out okay. The other thing was that, and this is always a good position to be in, they were desperate. Like I sent them my, my they, 
I told them that I wanted to teach Ruby and Ruby on Rails stuff. And uh, they said, well, Ruby, I don't know. There's not so much demand. Fine, send us your resume. And they saw my resume, and they called me right away and said, listen, you know Python. We desperately need someone to do Python because our guy just left us. And so for five years now, more than five years, I've been working with them with this company, John Bryce. Uh, and it's, it's, we're now up to such a crazy uh, amount of work. A, I'm restricting how much time I'll give them. I give them at most about two weeks out of each month because otherwise they will take over all my time. And B, I'm now scheduled to do courses through October because Cisco decided they want to have a ton of my courses and they don't want to be pushed aside by other people. So it's this like totally, totally crazy situation. And over time, I've gotten better. There's no doubt about it that my courses now, even a year or two ago, my courses are much better than then. And it's because I would say I'm constantly like thinking about how to teach better. I'm constantly sort of monitoring what the students are enjoying and not enjoying, and I'm tweaking it the whole time. And I would say that over the years, I've learned to teach less and less. Like, if people want an intro Python course, I'm sure that I now teach maybe a third of what I taught in my first courses. But it's much more depth, it's much more exercises, it's much more context for people to get. Now, you could t now I'm basically planning to go off on my own and not work with them in the future, in the very near future, in fact. So we'll see how that works out, although I think it should be okay. But if you want to do training, if you know a subject, or even better yet, if you want to know a subject, approach a company and talk to them about it. Or I would even say, put together a presentation, do it at a local users group or at a conference, get some familiarity with speaking and with presenting, and then offer your skills, offer your, your services. And it'll be hard at first, and you'll have to sort of figure it out. Um, and different companies have different requirements. And every single company, every single one I've ever spoken to, says that their engineers are above average smart, and thus they don't need it to really take four days, right? They can just do it in three days or similar such things. So you'll have to negotiate with them, and it'll take some time. But I, I have a great deal of fun with it. And if you can go through a training company, that definitely eases the burden because they take care of billing and scheduling and logistics and, and whatnot. But if you like presenting, I, I have a blast. I, just came, I mean, I was teaching for eight hours today at Apple, and I totally loved it. I kind of want to break into it, too, so... It's all useful for me. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, the, the analogy I find is because like every so often I think, huh, I'm giving the same course again. Like, shouldn't that be boring? <laughs> and I find it exciting. And the analogy I've sometimes used is that's like putting on a play, like an actor who just night after night after night puts on the same play. And I feel like you know I get into the groove and I know what explanation I'm going to give. I'm, I'm now at the point where some of these exercises, someone says, I got this error, and from like across the room I can say. Did you type that? <laughs> right, I can, I can debug at 20 yards, uh, which is a, a great trick, a nice party trick. But um, no, I really, still, it's just a, an enormous amount of satisfaction also to see these people come in with either Python or Ruby very skeptical, because in many cases, the C or C++ programmers are like, oh, what is this garbage language? And after three or four days, they come out saying, wow, that's really cool stuff. I'm really glad I was in this class. And that sense of satisfaction of they've learned something and they appreciate it is just enormous. I have to say that it, it really hits my fulfillment factors, is what I call yeah. them. I don't know if that's what the correct term is, the clinical term for my ailments are, but being able to interact with people is a big deal for me. And then feeling like I helped somebody or made a difference is also a big deal. And so that's why the training appeals to me. And it sounds like you're a lot the same way, Ruben. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, I, I love seeing that people have like advanced and Especially like the advanced classes. The, uh, the beginning classes, they're more homogenous, but the advanced classes, people come in from all levels, often not advanced. 
Uh, but I say to them, whoever comes in, I'm like, my goal is for you to move ahead. Like, that you should know more at the end than you do at the beginning. And like, for some of you, that's going to be a lot. Some of you, it's going to be a little. And when I see that happen, right, it just really you know, gets me right there. It really is a tremendously warm feeling. Mm-hmm. All right, we have another technical question. Oh, yeah. No, I was just going to say, this is partly why I'm, I'm so resistant to doing recorded classes online. I mean, you said this, John, like, I love the interactions. I love the questions. I love the back and forth. And it feels, in some ways, like to extend the, the acting analogy, I now understand why actors talk about working on stage versus working on TV or movies. Like, it feels very, yeah, sterile and quiet to be recording things as opposed to talking to people and getting their feedback. And I really thrive on that feedback that I feel and that I hear. Uh, and especially in Israel, like people will be like, "That's so stupid! I can't believe you said such a thing." So, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that, that's a sort of interaction perhaps is a little strong, but it's better than just sitting in front of my computer recording stuff and not knowing what people think. Yeah, I tend to do. So I've done some recorded training, and I'm planning on doing some in the future. I'm not announcing anything right now, but I'll probably announce something here within the next couple of weeks. But the thing that I like to do with the recorded training. You know, besides the weekly episodic videos, and I've talked about doing that in the past, but if I'm doing an actual course and I do a recorded course, because you tend to be able to, I guess, put your best performance in and edit out all the crap um, <laughs> and things like that. But then what I do is I tend to put in Q&A sessions and stuff so that I can get that interaction, and then they still get the best content that I can give them. And so I can see that working for me, but yeah, if it was just straight-up video stuff, I just don't think I... I get the same level of fulfillment out of it. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, just stuff to think about. So the next question is, do you use any configuration management like Chef or Puppet? Now, I'm not sure how many people watch this are technology people, so I'm going to back up, I'm going to give a little bit of context, and then I'm going to answer the question for me, and then Ruben can go ahead. But tools like Chef or Puppet are basically ways of making the setup of computers, usually servers, automatic. And so, you know, Chef is one. I think it's a lot more popular than Puppet, but there's also Puppet, Ansible, there are a whole bunch of them. And basically what you wind up doing is you wind up using their system and in many cases writing sections of the program. You can think of them as kind of a recipe or a procedure for adding things to a server. And and so you pull all those together and then you tell the server you're one of these and you have all of these different procedures that you have to run. And in the case of Chef, at least, they try and make those procedures so that you can run them 10 million times and you wind up with the same result, whether it's the first time or the 10 millionth time. So that's kind of a a quick overview. I use Chef. I've been wanting to check out Ansible, but I like Chef. There are a lot of things that work out well for me there. Uh, I typically don't manage enough servers or other machines to want to have a Chef server. So most of the time I'm just working out of a repository or um, a collection of recipes that run Chef Solo, and Chef Solo is just without the server involved. I am also a big fan of Vagrant, and I use that to test my setups for the different applications. And uh, I've been working with a friend of mine named Ryan, and uh, we've actually been rewriting recipes, which are those procedures. Uh, We've been rewriting the recipes specifically for Ubuntu, um, which is a distribution of Linux. And the reason is is because the recipes that are written by uh, Chef, the company, or by a lot of the other folks out there, they write them so that they'll run against any server uh, system. So they'll run against uh, CentOS, which is a Red Hat variant, or they'll run against 
SUSE Linux, where they'll run against Mandrake Linux, or they'll run against Ubuntu, which is a Debian variant, which is the one that I tend to go with. And so the problem is, is that a lot of times they wind up being way more complicated than I feel like they need to. And so I just want a simple procedure that says, go download the source code for Ruby, go install all of the prerequisites, compile Ruby, you know, and not figure out which system I'm on. And then if I'm on one version, go get these packages. And if I'm another version, go get these other packages because they have different names on the different systems. You know, so I use it and I really like it. I'm working on, you know, getting together a few more so it's, you know, harden SSH so it changes the port number, disallows password login, you know, things like that. Having it set up a kind of my common user across all of my systems and it puts all of the, the access keys in there so that I can log into them, you know, just stuff like that. And so um, I've got some recipes in progress. Ryan's written a bunch for like Nginx, SQLite, Ruby, there are a few more. And some of them are going to be really simple. So, for example, if I need Redis, I'm probably just going to install the Redis package on Ubuntu. Mm. So it's just going to be one line package, Redis-server. But some of the other ones, his Node.js and, and Ruby ones, for example, they actually go to the website for Ruby or for Node.js, and they find the latest version number. And then from there, you can figure out what the path is to download it. So then he goes and downloads it, untars it, and builds it. So... But it's relatively simple, and you can go look at the recipe and figure out pretty fast what it's doing. And the only complexity I would add to those is if you specify a version number, I'd like you to grab that version number. So instead of just always grabbing the latest version, it would if you wanted version 2.1, then it would go get 2.1.3 or whatever. But yeah, and so anyway, that's more of an answer than you probably wanted. But So I'm, I'm a chef solo person. Ruben, do you do you do use any of those tools? I don't use any of them, and I keep thinking that I should. But I just most of my clients are very small, um, and so they don't have a need for that, or at least I don't believe they have a need for that. I've heard people dispute that and say, "Look, even if you've got one machine, it just makes life so much easier." So maybe I, I got one client where I can see we're starting to scale them up. So I've worked, I, I've sort of played with both Chef and Puppet. I mean, I gave each of them like half a day or a day to sort of play with and learn about. But it was already a year or two ago, and I'm sure both of them have also changed since then and improved since then. And I've worked with a bunch of people who use them, but I, I don't have any uh, direct experience really with using them. I can see why it's popular. I can see why people would want to use them. And I've heard really good things about Ansible. People say that Ansible makes life way easier than even Chef or Puppet do. But that's just based on what I've heard from people, not any direct experience. So I'm actually working with Ryan on a project right now, and he put into the system, like, uh, in the configuration folder, he put a script in there, and it's a provisioning script. And when you run it, it goes and it installs the Chef client on the server, and then it downloads all of the recipes onto the server, and then it just runs all of the recipes that it's configured to run right on the server. And so what that does is if you want to set up another server... You just go onto that machine, you check out the source code repository, and then you go to that folder and you run one script, and it does all of that stuff for you. And so it automates the setup. So everything is set and ready to go as soon as you run that script. So you might have to do a little bit of Nginx config so that it knows where to go get the app, but that's it. And and that's kind of the power behind it. So if if you have to repeat the setup even once, then you've saved yourself a bunch of effort. Right, like I mean, I've definitely had people say, "Can you set up a server to do X, Y, Z?" I say, "Oh yeah," and and it's always amazing to me how long it actually takes to set up the server, and so I can see where if you're using Vagrant or using Chef, then setting it up becomes a no-brainer. Like you just sort of run the script, and it does that in the background. You're you're done, as opposed to I mean, it's it's 
easier and cheaper and more consistent for you and also for the client. Yeah, and in a lot of cases, if I have a new Rails app that I need to set up, you know, then I just point it over there and say, you're a Rails server. And then it's, it puts PostgreSQL on there, puts Ruby on there. You know, I can tell it that I'm going to run Rescue, and so then it'll put Redis on there, you know, and so then it starts to solve all those issues. But, yeah, it's 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 definitely interesting. Hmm. No more questions, guys? Have we answered everything you need to know? Yeah, we're so smart. So I have to say I have two things that I'm working on here in the short term, and uh, one of them is going to be a freelancing course. I don't have the landing page up for it yet, but I will announce it on the show when it's ready. And uh, I'll also put a note in YouTube where this will be live, and I'll put a note in the show notes as well. But anyway, I know a lot of people who have some kind of New Year's resolution or something for 2015 to go freelance. And so I'm, I'm really looking at, at pulling that together so that people can get started. And uh, I've got the outline together, and so I just need to start recording video. But I get a lot of the same questions over and over again. And if you have specific questions, you know, about your situation, I'd love to hear them. You can just email me, chuck at devchat.tv. And, and that would really help. But, yeah, so we'll go into the, okay, I don't have any clients. I don't have any contact or contacts or anything. You know, what do I do uh, to find work? You know, so if you get laid off or fired or if you just hit one of those lean periods like I just went through, you know, what do you do? And then we'll talk about, you know, preparing to go freelance or if you're already freelance, some of the things that you can do to kind of up your game so that you're in a better position to get clients and to avoid some of those uh, downward trends, I guess. But, yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited about that. So keep an eye out for that. That's pretty great. And, yeah, it's going to follow the format that I told Ruben I was going to do. So it's going to be videos, and then I'll have some Q&As for a few weeks when you join up. So, you know, hopefully then it'll be more directed at the content, and you'll have some context under which you can ask those questions. So I can't tell if there's really, like, a growth in the number of freelancers or just people who are doing it are getting smarter and sort of organizing themselves and talking to each other and or people are seeing business opportunities. And, like, I'm sure your course is fine, Jack, but, like, suddenly there seems to be definitely a growth in people who are catering to freelancers and want to help them do better. Uh-huh. Um, but, I mean, when I started, there was, like, nothing, nothing out there. But the most useful advice I got was from, like, lawyers who had been in business for themselves. Um, right. But almost no one I knew was in software for themselves or this sort of technology kind of niche. I lucked out because I wound up in the group that uh, Eric and Evan Light and Jeff Schoolcraft and the, those guys were in, and so I made the dumb mistakes before I was in that group, but then afterward, after I was in the group, then I could talk to them about what I was doing before I did it, and so I avoided some of those things, and so I mean, that's what I'm kind of hoping we can do with the Q&A coming up through the next year, is if you have a specific situation that you need feedback on, you can come in and say, hey, um, you know, I'm thinking about doing this, and then we can talk through the, some of the pros and cons on this call and make a difference that way. Because that yeah. was what was really valuable for me. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. That would, that would be a great thing. Well, looks like this one might just be a little bit short. Any other questions out there in listener land? No. Everyone's actually with their, with their families. I know. Yep, we did this one two days before Christmas. I don't know how, how this falls in relation to Hanukkah or anything else. Oh, it's, it's, it's the last day of Hanukkah, but like Hanukkah is the most minor holiday in the Jewish calendar, with perhaps one or two exceptions. The fact that it's been turned into anything major is an accident of the calendar and Christmas in the U.S., and that Israel like 
for sort of historical military reasons promoted it. But like in terms of actual religious significance, uh, it's close to nil. <laughs> and like it just I mean everyone in America knows about Hanukkah, right? But like yeah, ask people what they know about, you know, Sukkot or Shavuot, which are way, way, way more important. And I know this from experience, like when I was in college and I would say to my professors, you know, I can't take an exam because of you know Sukkot or Shavuot and they'd be like, What? Are these real holidays? <laughs> so, so kind yeah. of a, a meal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh God. Generally, the Hillel Rabbi would send out a letter saying, "Please believe the students when they say they can't come this day." In Israel, that's not much of an issue. Although, for all sorts of crazy political reasons, the, the the education minister. I think we've had three in the last four years, three in the last five years, and so each of them decides to put his stamp on the education and uh, you know, the, the school system, and so change around all the holiday, uh, the the, the, um, the vacation schedules. So somehow it worked out that usually the kids have off for all Hanukkah from school for no good reason, and this year they only had off for three days, so my kids have just been exhausted for three days trying to cram in a week's worth of vacation in, uh -huh. in that short time. Yeah, well, whatever holiday you celebrate uh, this time of year, we hope you have a terrific one. And just, just to be clear, if I do tell you Merry Christmas, it's, it's me wishing you the best of everything from where I believe the best of everything comes from. So uh, yeah, I'm not being exclusive, I'm being friendly. So, And I will not be profoundly offended, so there you go. There we go. All right. Well, yeah, so let's, uh, I guess we'll just wrap this up, but uh, thanks for listening, guys. Hopefully there's some content in here that inspires people to go out and do great things. And oh, one other thing I did want to bring up is that starting in January, we are going to be doing something a little bit differently. So the third week is lifestyle and business. The fourth week is the Q&A. The first week is marketing and sales, and the second week is going to be... I don't even remember because we have guests that are over the top of them. But anyway, so if you have particular topics that you want to have covered on those weeks, then by all means, let us know. Oh, the second week will be a guest, guest appearance. Anyway. Well, the, the idea is to make it easier for us and easier for listeners and then also have more of these Q&As. Yeah, and to tackle particular topics because we, we went for quite a while where we had a lot of guests and we want to make sure that we're covering topics that are relevant to freelancers, especially the more important ones like sales and running your business on a regular basis. We want to be talking about those. So anyway, so hopefully that, that gives you an idea of what we're after. Excellent. All right. Well, I'm going to push the button that makes the broadcast stop. But uh, thanks again for watching. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Have good holidays. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit c a c h e f l y dot com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the freelancer show panelists and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a forum that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. Sign up at freelancershow dot com slash forum.